don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. All right, crew, welcome back to the show. Uh, we are doing another audio article or quick read today. Um, we're going to read another one by uh, Suzu and Hasu, um, which you can find them at Hasu Fly on Medium, I believe it is, and then Hasu FL on Twitter. Uh, but uh, uh, these guys are the ones we've uh, read a couple of their works before. You should know Hasu and Suzu if you have if you don't follow them on Twitter, you are missing some serious gold uh, on the uh, uh, philosophy and explanation side. Their blog over at UncommonCore.co is a really good one. I think I've read like everything that they do. Um, it's it's one that I just keep up with. I'll just wake up in the morning and I'll hit. I try to read like a couple of articles every morning, like before I kind of get into my podcast stuff. And they are always a good one to read. If they've got something new out, I'm, I'm reading it. That's just basically how it goes. And you should be doing the same. So check out uncommoncore.co uh, and or follow both of them on Twitter. Uh, I will post their uh, Twitter tags, obviously, um, in the Twitter posts and show notes and all that good stuff. Same place as always. Check it out on cryptoeconomy.life or uh, just in the show notes on the podcast on anchor.fm. So... This is actually a third part of their series. Um, the first part was, the first and second parts, we've read uh, both on the show. Um, and this was actually mentioned, uh, one of them was actually mentioned in yesterday's episode by Brandon Quidham. And I've been meaning to get back to and finish up some of these old series, which is why we're hitting Brandon. And we hit Brandon Quidham's yesterday with the um, Bitcoin as a social creature, a mushroom. Uh, and then we're hitting part three of Hasu and Suzu's uh, series here. And this one is titled Independent Property Rights. Part one, if you'd like to listen to it, if you just go to their blog, it's right there, and it's actually linked like right at the beginning of the article. It, it starts with in the second part, uh, and you can click on it and go read that. And those parts are an honest account of fiat money. That is part one of this series. And then the second part is Unpacking Bitcoin's Social Contract. And uh, those are both really, really great thought pieces. Um, one is just, the, the first one is just breaking down fiat money and really, like from, it's the average person's perspective, kind of what, if it's, what is its security model? What is its supposed benefits and or drawbacks kind of thing? And then uh, the second is uh, Bitcoin as a Social Construct. What are really the core rules or principles of Bitcoin? Because, you know, the vast majority of people would assume that if there is a bug that breaks those rules, the code is not law. It is those rules. Like if there was a huge inflation bug, everybody would consider that a violation of Bitcoin, yet it would be the code of Bitcoin. So really, when you get down into the weeds, it's a social contract. It's construct, uh, And that is a really really good discussion. Uh, I think I added a, I think I had a bunch of rambling to do at the end of that episode. Those are quick read 197 and 198. Um, so we read those back to back and I definitely encourage you to jump into both of those before this one 
if you have not read them yet. Uh, and this is another really fun one by these guys, uh, and it's titled Independent Property Rights. Um, and because I'm a little low on time, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in, and I hope I have some time for some commentary, but it's possible that I don't. So I'll do my best. Let's go ahead and get through this, uh, jumping right into Independent Property Rights. In the second part, we showed how Bitcoin is a novel, social, and economic institution. But the question remains, who is going to use it? Is there a place for Bitcoin among other institutions? And if so, where is it? Is Bitcoin just a terribly inefficient competitor to PayPal and Visa, like the media wants you to believe? Or something more? To put Bitcoin on the map with other institutions, let us first understand why humanity built social institutions in the first place. Humans don't scale. Sure, we can learn, but we can't upgrade our brains and bodies like we can upgrade the hard drives and processors in our computers and machines. In fact, our social and mental capacities have remained virtually unchanged since we roamed the earth as hunter-gatherers. Instead, we scale through cooperation. All scientific breakthroughs, all increases in productivity and prosperity can be traced back to our ability to cooperate with each other. Cooperation has a scaling problem. But because our world is fundamentally uncertain, cooperation does not come easy for us. We spend massive amounts of efforts on predicting how other people are going to react to our actions and if those actions could affect us negatively. When we can't reliably predict the behavior of others, our lives become a prisoner's dilemma. Should we cooperate with someone else to hunt down a stag or stick to a rabbit which we could hunt alone? How can we trust him not to hit us over the head with a club and steal the stag? The path for humanity to quote-unquote scale and prosper is to find a way to break these prisoner dilemmas and cooperate anyway. Game theory gives us two solutions to the prisoner's dilemma. The first is to turn the one-time game into a repeated or iterated game. If you and your potential hunting partner meet again tomorrow, you are more likely to behave, as each of you has to worry about the other's retaliation. But such repeated social interactions or experience are only possible with a limited group of people at the same time, as proposed by the anthropologist Robin Dunbar. Dunbar's number is a suggested cognitive limit to the number of people with whom one can maintain stable social relationships. Its proponents assert that numbers larger than this generally require more restrictive rules, laws, and enforced norms to maintain a stable, cohesive group. Cooperation through institutions The second rule which Dunbar alludes to, is to, quote, tie our own hands and restrict ourselves from taking negative options that could hurt others. One such way is by adopting a shared morality and making sure these rules are socially enforced. But for groups that exceed Dunbar's number, we need institutions. The most basic of all institutions is a monopoly of violence. By empowering a specialized group of people 
to a focus on protecting your town, you can more easily engage in productive enterprises because you don't have to worry if you can protect the fruits of those enterprises. Establishing a strong and benevolent monopoly on violence also strengthens the shared morality and formalizes it into a formal legal system. The rules become more credible, after all, if there is a party strong enough to overpower any individual and make sure no one is, quote, above the law. On the shoulders of the monopoly of violence and the legal system rests the most important institution of all, the right to private property. A private property system protected by the state gives you the exclusive right to your own resources and to use them as you see fit. Research has found that prosperity and property rights are inextricably linked. Property rights. Having well-defined and strongly protected property rights is the basis for all higher institutions. Markets are matchmaking systems between buyers and sellers that allow for specialization and the division of labor, while money allows for the creation of accurate price signals to producers and consumers. We need a monopoly on violence to have a legal system, and we need a legal system to have property rights. We need property rights to have markets and firms, and we need markets and firms to have capitalism. It is through the invention of new institutions, each building on the existing ones, that civilization advances. Here is a simplified image of the institutional stack. Graphic. And here we just kind of have a mock-up pyramid uh, where we have the monopoly on violence is the bottom, is the base, the foundation, and then the legal system is a derivative or built on top of that. It's a layer on top of the uh, monopoly of violence. And then on top of the legal system, we have the enforcement and uh, quote-unquote guarantee of property rights. And then on top of property rights, we can have markets which allow us to cooperate and uh, divide up the labor to produce in a socially scalable way as opposed to individually. And in an unstable stack where we do not have those things, if the monopoly of violence is no longer producing a uh, just legal system, then the property rights fall apart and the markets fall apart. Without the uh, foundations in place, nothing can, uh, uh, nothing, there can be no stability in the higher layers uh, on top of an unstable foundation. End graphic. By streamlining human interactions, social institutions break the prisoner's dilemma and have us worry less about being harmed by others. The resulting increase in mutual predictability allows us to extend our trust to strangers and to enable cooperation beyond Dunbar's number. The Bitcoin Institution all right, let's take a quick break and hit our sponsor, and we will jump back into how Bitcoin fits into the idea of institutions and scaling cooperation. All right, and jumping back in with the Bitcoin institution. If we see Bitcoin as a novel institution, which rights does it unlock? Let's remember the rules of the Bitcoin social contract. Anyone can use the Bitcoin network without permission. No censorship. 
and only he who owns money can spend it. No confiscation. Further, there is no central party that can print more money ahead of schedule and steal purchasing power from others. No inflation. And finally, anyone can verify that the rules are being followed before they accept a payment. No counterfeiting. Do these rules stand the test of reality? In his excellent paper, How Bitcoin Functions as Property Law, Eric D. Chasen states that, quote, Satoshi Nakamoto has created a form of property that can exist without relying on the state, centralized authority, or traditional legal structures, end quote. I will go one step further and say that the Bitcoin network, and by extension, its money token, enable the highest form of property rights of any socioeconomic institution in the history of man. A new era in property rights. That is the key innovation of Bitcoin. It detaches property rights from the legal system and the monopoly of violence. For the first time, we can have property that does not rely on a local authority to enforce and protect. It is easy to conceal, defend, divide, move, and verify, all by yourself, granting you the highest level of personal sovereignty. Property rights used to depend firmly on other layers of the social institution stack, specifically the monopoly on violence and the legal system. If the bottom of this stack is shaky, you cannot have strong property rights. But because Bitcoin stands entirely on its own, it can bring the highest level of property rights to anyone in the world, no matter the quality of their lower-level institutions, the government, or legal system. Graphic. And here we have the stack again of monopoly of violence, legal system, property rights, and then markets at the top. Uh, and using the example of an unstable local monopoly, local monopoly on violence, will prevent the emergence of those property rights in the higher layers. However, we can actually remove the monopoly of violence and legal system altogether and keep the top of the stack, property rights, and then subsequently the markets, because Bitcoin's property rights are detached from the local monopoly of violence and legal system. So Bitcoin offers the strongest property rights anywhere in the world independently of the local stack. So it allows higher institutions like markets, etc. to be built on it anyway. End graphic. Bitcoin unlocks a different dimension of value. In the same way that boats unlocked transport over water and airplanes through the air, Bitcoin unlocks a new alternate layer to store and move value as the first native digital asset. It is the ability to exist solely in the digital world from which Bitcoin derives all of its properties. It cannot be attacked in the physical space the same way that physical assets can. The implications of this will only reveal themselves over time, but we can already speculate who Bitcoin may be tremendously useful for. 1. Anyone living in places with weak local property rights. 2. Anyone subject to discrimination from the existing financial system. 3. Anyone living in places with a weak local currency with a high risk of inflation. And 4. Anyone looking to store or move meaningful amounts of value. 
the highest value requires the highest amount of security. Using Bitcoin gives these people the ability to cooperate more effectively, increase their productivity, and as a result, their prosperity. It allows them to save money for the future, to build capital that can be invested in more productive enterprises, and let them partake in global trade with others all around the world. Progress through competition. Bitcoin can also benefit those who never use it. As a hedge against central bank error, it makes the global financial system more resilient. Ironically, it can also improve other monetary and property systems around the world. What? Yes, that is the effect that competition has on a market. If you are a customer of Apple, you benefit from Samsung releasing a new phone because it forces Apple to improve the quality of their product to stay competitive. Graphic. We've got an example of where the monopoly of violence and legal system are unstable, but on top of it we have property rights and then markets above that being secured by Bitcoin. Therefore, the legal system and monopoly of violence is not necessarily... uh, needs to be stable in order to have stable property rights and markets within the Bitcoin stack. However, over a long enough time period, the incentive to abuse citizens could decrease and begin to repair and create new competitive environments for the monopolies of violence and or legal systems because wealth becomes harder to confiscate or steal via inflation, which are the exact things that lead to the instability and corruption of the monopoly of violence and legal systems. End graphic. As a result, we could witness a quality improvement in monetary and property systems because Bitcoin opened the door for competition and created a market. This also shapes our understanding of what Bitcoin is not, a competitor to Visa or PayPal. It competes with local governments, legal systems, and property rights, the fundamental layers of the existing stack, not with the payment processors that sit on top of it. Civilization scales through cooperation, but cooperation between strangers is inherently hard. Social institutions can solve this prisoner's dilemma and allow us to cooperate on a larger scale. At the bottom of the stack, We need a stable and benevolent monopoly on violence to enforce the rules of the legal system and establish property rights. Until now, it was impossible to have strong property rights in places with a weak local government. Bitcoin does not depend on the existing system in any way and can give us the highest form of property rights, no matter who and where we are. All right, and there we have it. That concludes Independent Property Rights by Hasufly and Suzu uh, on UncommonCore.co. Again, if you are not reading uh, this blog or keeping up with uh, work from those two guys, you are missing out. Um, This was a really great, uh, kind of a more, maybe you could say, user-friendly Um, exploration of the whole idea of social scalability and independent property rights um, that that Nick Szabo has uh, done quite a bit of writing about. 
um, uh, uh, blockchains, money, blockchains, and social scalability is a really, really good one on that topic and these sorts of dynamics in particular. But it's a lot, it's a lot denser and uh, a little bit more difficult to follow. I do have that one in audio if you want to go digging a little bit deeper about social scalability, about how civilization uh, and uh, how money in particular allows cooperation at a societal level. Because this is just one of the most interesting discussions in Bitcoin, in my opinion. Uh, so I always get excited when uh, Hasu and Suzu jump in and expand a little bit more on this topic. And this was a wonderful part three to their series. Definitely, definitely go back and either read or listen to part one and two. And don't be stupid, follow both of them on Twitter. I will drop their tags in the post and also link to their blog because they've got probably another 10 different articles um, have been posted up there that I have not read on the show. So don't miss out and just wait for me to read them all in audio. Definitely go check out uh, some of the great stuff that they have up there. We will be hitting them again. So, you know, so if you have some terrible visual affliction and can't actually go read the blog, uh, don't worry, we will be hitting some of their uh, work continuously in the future uh, because it's just great stuff and always sparks a fun discussion. Um, with that, though, I have got, ooh, I am, I am three minutes to uh, a appointment that I have scheduled, so I need to go right now and switch over to another program, and uh, I will talk to you guys later. Thank you so much for listening. Do not forget to check out those guys. Um, this, unfortunately, is not on Medium, so you cannot drop applause. So the best thing you can do is share it out and follow these guys on Twitter. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at The Crypto Economy and check out CryptoEconomy.life, uh, where we basically have an ongoing and increasingly large uh, audio article library, a quick read library uh, being built out where you can find hundreds of these articles in audio. Um, from so many different authors now and on so many different topics. Um, I, I am hoping very soon, uh, and I may actually be hiring it out because it is just so much work. It will probably cost me everything I've made for this podcast and then some uh, for the year uh, or since advertising on the show. Uh, but I want to get this accessible to as many people as possible, and I don't want to have all these old articles lost in the stack um so it needs to be easy to get through and uh so actually you know what on that note if anyone knows i'm having a bit of a problem i don't know exactly i've never had like a virtual assistant or anything before and i really need to start outsourcing that work to make this clean and accessible on multiple different platforms if anybody has had success with a particular platform or a particular virtual assistant that you think may be useful or has those skills and would like to talk about, uh, you know, negotiating a price here. Um, I would love to have someone help manage uh, the social media posts so that I can get this out on multiple platforms all at once. Uh, the all-in-one things like IFTTT and Buffer and all those things always end up uh, seemingly to have a limitation somewhere. They, don't, they either don't hit all the um, uh, social media things that I need 
uh, and so I have to use multiple ones, or they don't do the formatting right. I can't it just it just a lot of work goes into it, and it's a real pain to have to sit down, and it takes an hour and a half just to post all social media and stay up on it, and I just can't be a part of all that. It's, it's just a lot of work, um, particularly when I'm just trying to get out as much audio content as possible. So again, if anybody knows someone or would like to talk about uh, helping me on the back end with that work and with cleaning up posts and organizing the website, that would be wonderful. I am looking to outsource that task. All right. So uh, thank you guys again so much. Do not forget to subscribe. And the best thing you can do to support this show is share it with everybody in the Bitcoin space. There is, uh, I think there is a lot of value hidden here that's just not being, um, it's just not in front of all the audience that I think could benefit from it. And if you share this out uh, just with one person that you know in the Bitcoin space, uh, you do a wonder, a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing in helping to get this show to more people and uh, get them access to more information and the ability to learn about Bitcoin in a faster uh, and more user-friendly way. So thank you guys again. Uh, until next time, I will be back here tomorrow with another episode. Uh, I am out of here. I am late. So I will catch you guys next time. Thank, thanks again. And uh, yeah, until then, this has been the Crypto Economy Podcast. And don't forget to take it easy.